This is Unlearned, a self-rising production. I'm Jamie. And I'm CA. And we are your hosts. This is a podcast all about deconstructing who we are and exploring who we are becoming. Bam. (laughs) We're here. Hello. Hello. We... Since this is a podcast, you guys can't see us. Let's just say it. (laughs) We are looking fabulous. (laughs) So (laughs) we're not just into ourselves today. We both dyed our hair. Yeah. You're listening. Yeah. For the the listeners, the non-watchers, audio only folks. And I have purple hair. Mine is like a peach. Okay. So we have like this little pinkish orange look going on. It's very cute. Especially we might have to break. I think you guys, since this is going to be delayed, you'll probably see it. But once this episode comes out, we'll post a picture of both of us. Um, Actually, I could even take a screenshot right now if I wanted to. Here, we'll take a screenshot. Smile, CA. Okay, so you'll get that screenshot later. It'll be very blurry. But welcome, guys. I am so excited about this episode. We have actually been planning this one for a while. We're ta- we're talking about hair. So we both kind of did these radical hair transformations. It's not a first for either of us. Like we're both kind of like, I mean, you've been doing stuff to your hair even like way longer than I have. But I've been doing it for a while enough now that anyway. Um. But yeah, we just kind of wanted to talk about hair as a form of self-expression and all the implications that come throughout our life that are connected to our experience of our own hair. Um, Because we started talking about this one day and man, it was just like a million things just kept coming up and we realized this was a really great way to illustrate some of the deep topics that we talk about together. Yeah. Because one of the things we don't pay attention to is how much our autonomy and our, our authenticity gets dampened throughout our whole life. And not only does it get dampened a lot in childhood, but it gets dampened throughout our adulthood, depending on how we want to express ourselves or if we feel free to express ourselves. And so we thought hair would be a really cool way to just encapsulate the idea of expression and it's linked to authenticity and autonomy. So we will be talking about hair. There will most likely be other topics that we're going to touch on. It's just hair. We came up with hair as being this really great example and lived analogy for how we are journeying towards our most authentic selves. And that can show up in a very, various different ways. So with that being said, this episode is all about hair. (laughs) The hair episode, friends. So Kind of, I remember when we first came up with this topic, it was because we, we had started talking about some of our own childhood experiences. And then we got thinking about how hair is treated during childhood and how it literally from the get-go for many, many, many of us 
starts you off with this kind of foundational default understanding that you are not in control of your self-expression because so many of us were not given any voice to how our parents decided to cut our hair or style our hair or any, like all of that. And it was just kind of like done to us. And I mean, obviously when you're like a toddler and a preschooler, like I understand like when you're very little, that's just how it goes. But I think at least for myself, I can say that even as I got into like young childhood or middle childhood, where like I, I did have a voice and an opinion about my hair, it wasn't listened to. And decisions were still made about how the adults in my life wanted my hair to look versus what I would have chosen for myself. Right. And so we get into a kind of a rocky area when we have, especially I know some of our listeners are raising young children. So sometimes they're like people will immediately think, well, you know, it's a little unreasonable when my child who never brushes their hair, you know, wants to have super, super long hair, right? And this is where it's it's difficult, right? Because we are balancing as parents. This is one of the things I wanted to, you know how we work in this in this podcast. We want to create dialogues around variations of the expression of this, okay? So we are going to get the folks that are going to say, I'm not actually trying to thwart my child's autonomy. I'm genuinely trying to make sure their hair is taken care of, right? Mm -hmm. And so if it's constantly consumed by snarls and genuinely they're crying tears, you're hurting me, I don't want the brush in my hair, right? Mm -hmm. I could see parents arriving to the conclusion where, I'm sorry, we just have to cut it, right? Which is tricky because like CA said, it's almost as though as parents, what we struggle with is at what point is this, like offsetting their autonomy and offsetting their voice Mm -hmm. by me kind of steamrolling over it. Right. Mm -hmm. So, you know, the first few years or even, you know, I mean, I, my oldest is 11 this year and to this day, we sometimes bicker about making sure his hair doesn't turn into a rat's nest. My oldest. (laughs) Exactly. And that is a valid, let me just validate that and acknowledge that for a second, is for the folks that are struggling with this with their kids, we're not speaking over that right now. We want you to understand that this journey towards your children's authenticity very much can be a kind of a a tough road to navigate Mm -hmm. and balance. Mm -hmm. And so Every day as a parent, we're trying to balance, you know, what is the most reasonable thing here and what is honoring them, right? And so typically, it's more or less the more critically thinking they, they become. So the more into, let's say, you know preteens, obviously teenagers kind of struggle sometimes with some of their critical thinking, but the more and more they go into that critical thought, okay, the more autonomous they're going to be around self-expression. And so this is where we do walk into kind of, you know, muddy waters because now we have 11 and 12 and 13 year olds. And in theory, there's nothing impeding their their ability to shower on their own and to make sure their hair is brushed and to make sure, you know, 
they have some basic hygiene, right? Mm -hmm. So that's typically the caveat that I give people when we're having this conversation is when we're talking about basic hygiene and basic maintenance of functioning, that is very reasonable to try to explain to the children that when they're saying, I just want it like this and I just want it like that. And you're saying, I hear you and I understand that that's really important to you. And part of the responsibility of your hair right now is something that I am now having to take care of because because of your age, I'm not able to kind of trust that you're going to brush your hair every day, right? So that's hard. That's hard because they're like, well, I will, I will, I will, right? And so now we're talking about like child development and like all of the things. There's got to be even another layer of nuance here. Of course, this is where my brain is going to go. And this has to do with like kiddos who are neurodivergent often have like even even a harder time um, with certain aspects of personal hygiene and hair is definitely, definitely like a very common struggle for a lot of neurodivergent kids for a whole slew of reasons. Um, and so if you have a kid who's ADHD or ASD or any combination, um, it can be even like extra hard to get them to understand the full implications of managing the health of their hair. And so I also Mm -hmm. needed to speak to that um, as a neurodivergent person myself with neurodivergent kiddos. Like, trust me when I say like, I completely understand the struggle is real when it comes to this stuff. And that's where your response as a parent comes in, which is what Jamie was just speaking to, which is, of course, we're like validating the feelings and the autonomy of the child while still balancing with them the real life consequences of what's going to happen if we carry on not brushing our hair. And this is where for me, um, what I have done is I enlist the help of hairstylists to be another adult voice to speak some of this stuff to my kids. Or if it were teeth, I would have the dental hygienist speak some of this stuff to my kids because they can hear it from me all day long, but it's just another thing. Oh, it's just mom. Like, man, she's just always on my back. But if you get like a professional in the field to also sit there and like explain and maybe even show pictures of like, here's how matted hair can get. And here's, and if it gets to that level, the only option is literally shaving your head at that point, you know, like getting them to like understand a broad understanding of like what could really happen here is a helpful tactic to get them to play this game of balance with you. Right, right. And so this is actually, it connects to who's responsible for what, okay? So this is this is why we love this topic because it actually feeds into so many psychological constructs that we love it. Because think about who's responsible for what, mm-hmm. right? And so when we become more and more and more autonomous, we are becoming more and more responsible and more and more embodied, okay? Which means we do have to take on the responsibility that comes with, let's say, super, super long hair. Yes. Or let's say, if I do talk to my mom, let's say I'm, I'm going to just throw out an age, okay? Let's say I'm 14 years old, okay? And I say, mom, What I want, and you guys are just going to have to envision this if you're not watching, what I want is I want half of my hair like super long, like couple, you know, like a foot and a half or something, whatever. Like I really, really want it long. And then I want the other half to be like buzzed 
completely like close to my head. And your mom, your mom is, you know, just, let's say there's no construct around it. And she's like, all right, let me just, let me just walk you through what might occur because there's going to be a middle ground, right? There's going to be half of the hair is going to be long, half of it. And then there's going to be growth. And then there's maintenance. And just, I'm just letting you know, when you buzz it, you're going to have to learn how to buzz it yourself then because you're going to have to be buzzing it every couple of weeks to keep it that style, right? Mm -hmm. And so you're just walking through the, you know, nuances of the decision and here's the responsibility. The second you shave that hair and you're 14, okay? And you look in the mirror and you're like, I literally hate this. (laughs) This was a mistake. It's three days after. This was a mistake. It's three days after. I hate this. What we don't get to do, but our kids will do this to us anyways, is say, mom, this is all your fault. Why did you let me do this? So this is why, this is why we like this example so much, because it actually speaks to a lot of our own self-growth. It means who's responsible for the decisions. And there isn't really someone to blame here because in order for us to embody ourselves, we genuinely do have to make mistakes. Absolutely. We have to make mistakes. We have to dye our hair the wrong color and realize, oh my goodness, that does not work with my skin tone. And then learn. And this is why I, as a parent, literally love hair as a vehicle for these types of lessons with my kids. Like, please let them learn some of these lessons young and over something so low stakes as hair. Because even though we understand that like hair does have huge significance to us, when a mistake is made, you know, to the hair, you give it the wrong haircut or the wrong color. Um, For kids to be able to gain resiliency through that experience, gain self-knowledge about themselves, and for all of us to at least at the end of the day, take some peace in knowing that like hair will grow back. Um, It, you know, for me as a parent, I'm like, let them make all the hair mistakes. (laughs) Like, because it's such a good way to learn some of these lessons. Right. And I also think this leads into the concept of it only is a mistake from an internal perspective. Right. Okay. And what I mean by that is, and I know, I know that you were going with that CA, but I, I want to clarify that just for listeners is that when we even say the word mistake, right. it means that that came from the actual precipitant, the catalyst for the decision, which means the child came to you and said, I would like to have aquamarine hair. And let's say it's, I don't, it's not even mine to judge. I don't know, but let, let's say certain skin tones just it washes you out. And so let's say you have aquamarine hair now and you say, oh my gosh, like all these pictures, I just, I look like this, you know, and by the way, guys, I should post this on my, I should post this on Unlearned. There was one time I dyed my hair so blonde. I literally looked physically ill. Like I looked so ill. And I mean, like, I'm not even trying, but I literally didn't look like I had like physical health. I looked so ill. And so that was one of those moments where I remember like fantasizing about being blonde. And of course I like, didn't want to get it professionally done. So I just kept doing it like myself. And I remember I have a few pictures. I'll try to dig them deep. This is probably (laughs) 10 years ago, almost where I literally went to an amusement park and I'm not kidding. I look like I'm unwell. (laughs) So that was one of those moments where 
it's, it has to come from us Mm -hmm. because if someone looks at me and I genuinely love my hair, I love the cut that I did. I love the color I did. And someone says, that's a mistake. Mm. From their perspective. And this is going to, this leads, exactly. This is going to lead us to, right. This will lead us into the next conversation. Mm -hmm. But why does the mistake have to become, are coming from an internal place? Because you have to embody the decisions that you're making and then responsible for the decisions that you're making. When you're responsible for those decisions, you can say, it's not me screwing up and I'm not a failure. It's just that I'm learning about parts of myself Mm -hmm. that I would not have been able to know if I didn't take that risk. And so obviously for our listeners, you can expand this out of here. Exactly. It can be it can be trying to date a certain type of person and saying, oh, that's not my style. I'm not into that scene. I don't like that vibe. And you might have tried because you thought you were into drummers or something. <laughs> uh, not to generalize all drummers, but let's say, oh, I really want this type of person. I really want to date this type of person. And then you go and try it and you're like, I don't know. I, I don't know if I'm into that. I don't know if I'm into this scene. Okay. and. And you're allowed to say that. You're allowed to be like, I don't really like the energy there, okay? Mm-hmm. The problem is, is when someone like judges you and says, you know, let's say you start dating the drummer and you really don't like the drummer, but everyone's like, oh my God, I can't believe you're dating them and that's a terrible decision. And you sit there, especially with neurodivergent people, you could be like, what is it? Oh my God, you're going to know what I'm talking about. The the not RSD. What is it? It's the one where they immediately want to like counter PDA. So persistent demand for autonomy. It's kind of like a sub profile under the ASD umbrella. And um, it's exactly what it sounds like, which is like, there's this like visceral feeling inside that as soon as somebody suggests anything to you or demands something of you, you're going to immediately be like, nope, we're going to do the opposite because you Mm. just need to feel in control of a situation. And so if someone's telling you this is the wrong relationship for you, even if you're, this is the, this is the crux, this is the crux. Even if you in your mind had already been thinking that if an external source tries to put that on you before you had started autonomously acting on that thought. If an external source puts that on you, now it's this visceral reaction that you're going to like literally defiantly keep dating that person. Just because you can't (laughs) do what someone else said. So this is why I'm sure everyone's learning a new thing every day, but this is one of those moments where I'm not just saying it's only a neurodivergency, but think about like, that does occur even if you're not in the neurodivergent realm, like when we're, you know, in our developmental years, okay? So we're developing our own personality. That aspect of persistent demand for autonomy, that aspect of personality formation definitely can impact our autonomy. Because think about it, when someone continues to date that drummer, they're actually countering their truth now. Mm -hmm. They're countering their truth. 
And it's all for the sake of like, well, you also are messing with my autonomy. So like, I don't have a choice. One is either against my autonomy, the other one's against my autonomy. So I have to choose one, right? And I sit there and I go, okay, I know we're talking about a drummer right now, but it's this concept. It can absolutely apply to any self-expression. If you are saying, you know, let's say for a long time, you said you wanted to get a tattoo and then, you know, you turn 18 and your dad says, well, um, or, or no, sorry, you turn 18 and you are like, you know what? I don't think I want one. I don't know. I don't really care. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. And then your dad barges into your room and says, don't you dare think about getting a tattoo. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Do you see what's happening here? It's like, you're sitting there and you're like, well, I, I thought I had that, but I do. Yeah, exactly. And I think that's what's kind of, um, it, it, yeah, it, it, there's something inside of us that whether or not you, you know, have the full criteria to meet some sort of like actual clinical, you know, like diagnosis of PDA, that's not really the point. The point is there is a part of all of us inside that is craving authenticity and autonomy over ourselves and our outward forms of expression are often the most tangible ways that we practice that skill and like work out that muscle. So this is why lots of times you get this moment of if somebody tries very forcefully to control your self-expression, you find yourself very forcefully pushing back and doubling down on whatever that form of self-expression was that was being criticized. So maybe if I ever get my doctorate, I'll do a doctorate on the correlation between breakups after pregnancy and um, a huge shift of life of haircuts, hair coloring, and tattoos. Okay. So I do. I do have this theory and I would love to do research on this, but genuinely the reason why I have this whole theory, okay? And I I know people think it's this like cultural joke, but the reason why people think they're just losing their mind. They're like, oh my God, this woman, she was pregnant and I knew she had the most beautiful, gorgeous, long hair. And after she had that baby, I swear, I didn't even recognize her. I didn't, I, I mean, I literally, I, she has like, she has like a buzz cut. Mm-hmm. Yeah. After major life events, you will find a lot of people do something drastic to their hair. Um, and I actually did think, I think there are a couple studies on it. Um, or at least I, I know I've read about this. This isn't, you know, like brand new info. Like somebody out there has talked. Stop watching my dreams. No, no, no. I'm not saying anybody has a PhD in it yet. I'm just saying, I think I've read one or two things about, um, kind of this, this major life event and people doing a drastic change to their hair. So this is getting out of a long-term relationship or like you said, after a pregnancy or after a big move or even just sort of even natural transitions, like graduating college or graduating high school or, you know, just like various different sort of milestone moments where there's this urge and people could see that as something negative. But I think typically from the person who's doing that, 
even if they felt emotionally distraught at the time, you know, we, we, we think about these like very kind of like public moments where this happened with Brittany, um, where this happened with Willow Smith and everyone's like, oh my gosh, they lost their mind. Why did they shave their heads? You know? And it's, it might from the outside look like a moment of them losing control, but what was actually happening was the exact Mm. opposite. And this was a way to take back control Mm. over their bodily autonomy after experiencing a lengthy period of time where parts of their self-expression were being so controlled that this was their way to be like, I am in charge of my body and I'm going to show you in the most drastic way that I can. And this is where it feels countercultural because people have a lot of opinions on the way we express ourselves. This is why when women um, or anyone who's been, you know, oppressed from their expression. So this is definitely common in the LGBTQ community, but the idea of, the way they are expressing themselves through their clothing, right? And so Mm -hmm. think about it. If you've been told your whole life that your body is kind of wrong or the expression needs to be like dampened or curtailed around other people, right? This is why the radical shaving of the hair, or I'm going to now wear more revealing outfits. Mm -hmm. Okay. Many times people misunderstand that. Mm -hmm. They think, oh gosh, they're just trying to get so much attention. Mm -hmm. And like, they just, they just like, it's sad. sad. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And what I see is if I literally sat down with them and I said, what was what was your experience with your own self-expression? What was your experience with clothing? What was your experience with purity culture? What was your experience with your own identity and how you were genderized clothes and when you were allowed to wear things and when you weren't allowed to wear things? What was your experience with that? Because I am telling you, if I was a betting woman, I would say there would be a very high correlation between people who were told they don't get to be expressive Mm -hmm. because of psychological constructs around that expression. All right. So when someone starts posing and like saying, I don't need to wear a bra Mm -hmm. or when they start not shaving their armpits or when they start you know, let's say instead of provocative, they just go a different way. They just wear like literally whatever clothes they want, right? They go a different route. It seems like everyone always has an opinion and nobody's asking the question. Nobody's asking the question like, is this part of your healing? Is this part of your healing? Are you taking back parts of yourself that you never got to explore? Mm -hmm. Are you claiming aspects of your expression that you never got to just journey into. You never got to explore this part of yourself because to me, that's a beautiful thing. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. But for so many other people, yeah, but for so many other people, it seems as though this and okay, like I know I might get some emails about this with, you know, the Britney stuff. So we're not even going to go into that, but 
genuinely, when we look at someone hitting a level of a threshold and everyone's nitpicking every aspect of their life, mm-hmm. there can sometimes be these like radical shifts of outward expression. Mm-hmm. And what's sad about that is to a misinformed brain, they very well might, might see that as they are they are losing their mind. Right. They are spiraling out of control. Mm-hmm. And that might be their last ditch effort. Mm-hmm. They might be losing every aspect of their autonomy. And their last ditch effort is to just, just shave their head. Right. Yeah, I mean, it is like I like I said. I think for for a lot of people, the moments that look the most out of control are oftentimes that person's strongest final push and effort mm-hmm. to reclaim control over their lives, and it might look really chaotic, and they themselves might actually regret the choice. But that doesn't mean that they, mm, I want to, maybe they don't regret the choice, but like it was never, for them, it was never actually about the results <laughs> of the thing that they did. It was more about the taking of control. So like the hair mm. was just the vehicle to control. It wasn't like they were like, I've always dreamed about a bald head. You know, it, it wasn't, nece- it's ne- not necessarily about like achieving the end result of that self-expression moment and much more about this internal taking back of power and control over some tangible part of their life that they could grip themselves into and say, this is something that I am going to feel in control about because you know, this, that, and the other thing, everything else is feeling so out of my control. And so for a lot of people, those like major, major drastic hair changes comes from that place. And for, for other people, it can come from a very similar place and maybe not look or feel as chaotic. Um, and where I'm going with this is that there are, actually some cultures that have actual rituals and these are these are very sacred rituals that take place around the hair that mark like very important events so this could be a a coming of age thing this could be a you know post-pregnancy type of a thing. Um, In a lot of cultures, it has to do with grief. So if you've lost somebody, um, sometimes there is a a shedding of the hair, you know, like a cutting off of the hair. Um, And from what I have understood, and not just from these cultures, but I think maybe for a lot of us, there might be even something really intrinsically innately, like an innate wisdom that some of us feel is that the hair holds on to things. It picks up on energy or memories. And so there is this sort of like innate part of us inside that when we're ready to move forward in a, in a process Mm. of authenticity or healing, we have this like innate wisdom that says, let's remove the hair because the hair is like holding on 
to the weight of what we just went through. See, and I think this is this is actually this speaks to a lot of why many people miss the point when we think about like let's say a cultural ritual or a religious ritual or something. I sit there and I think like let's say I was in the culture. I'm not I don't even know if it's a religion that does the like cutting of the hair after someone passes or something. But like if I was part of that, I'm just going to walk through this as an example. So if I was in a culture that had a tradition of cutting hair after grief or, you know, a loss of some sort, okay? This is where we lose a lot of the point or the culture kind of didn't necessarily link that what's very important here is to make that choice autonomously. Mm-hmm. Because think about it. This is why it's because I'm sitting here thinking like the flip side that if I happen to be part of a culture and let's say my, you know, partner passed away mm-hmm. and everyone's looking at me and they're like, she didn't cut her hair. Like that's not okay. And mm-hmm why isn't she cutting her hair? Obviously she's not ready to move on and whatever. Right. Mm -hmm. This is why when we have cultural or religious constructs or even societal constructs, like whatever it is, if you are not asking the question, does that mean what it means to the culture? Does it mean what it means to the religion to you? Mm -hmm. Are you embodying the meaning behind this practice because if it's an if it is if it's part of your authentic self and and it does embody that you know belief system then for you then more power to you right like of course like we we love it like we love that journey for you like do the ritual do the ceremony do the do that moment of expression um but like you were saying like there are times where maybe a pushback is going to happen from a sort of culture or system that just expects or demands a certain expression of hair or outward expression. And if it doesn't feel autonomous to you and it doesn't feel authentic to you, you're going to be dealing with this tension and this, and this struggle inside of dissonance. Yes. And I think this is a good connector to, we've been talking a lot about our internal experience of it, but what we did want to link is this idea of why is our self-expression a threat to our environment? Mm -hmm. Why would somebody read that as a threat? And we can speak in a society way, right? Women are expected to have long hair. Men are expected to have short hair. That's literally, I I can actually unlink every (laughs) religious and every culture. Like that is just this weird thing. Look at, look at any preschool, Mm -hmm. any preschool. It's not that common to see boys with long hair. Mm -hmm. I'm not saying there's a right or wrong way people. I'm just saying like, the fact that we have these cultural psychological constructs around hair is evident in just the role of how we show up every single day. Mm -hmm. So what we wanted to speak to is I think, you know, to keep this a little more succinct, it, 
I think it would be helpful for our listeners to hear almost from a family system. And we also could expand it a little bit outward, but in a family system, think about for a second what it was like growing up and attempting to have variations of self-expression. Mm-hmm. Just think about that for a second. And this is why when me and CA were brainstorming this episode, when we started brainstorming the points that we wanted to hit, I'm pretty sure at one point both of us were in full tears because Mm -hmm. there were some pain points that came from benchmark moments of our childhood that were around hair. Yeah. They were around feeling like we didn't own our body. Mm -hmm. And I'm speaking from a woman, from a person who has a uterus, from someone who is, this is a post-Supreme Court ruling, but it's a post-Supreme Court ruling episode. I am telling you, when you have felt that, whether you are a woman, a man, someone who's like in the trans community, the concept of not feeling like you have a say over your own body is trauma. Absolutely. We need to hold space for that. I think, and, and for me, it was, it was a, what happened with me and my childhood and the decisions that were made about my hair caused literally life altering and lifelong trauma for me. Like there are defaults in my brain based specifically on what happened to my hair at the age of six years old. And that literally like set up an entire foundation of thought patterns from that moment forward for me, which is why as we brainstormed this episode, there were tears (laughs) because it's, the trauma that can happen to us through our hair, like, especially if it was minimized to you and it often is like, why are you crying? Oh my gosh, it's just hair. Get over it. Get over it. Um, It's not just hair. And children are so connected to their embodied wisdom that even though they don't have the intellectual verbal capacity to express what is happening inside of them, their bodies are screaming about what this feels like for them. And what it is, is what you just said, that loss of autonomy, that absolute powerlessness, that this home that you live in, we literally live inside of our bodies 24 seven, even that's not safe. It's so traumatic. Mm. Yes. I love that visual for people is that our bodies are our home. Our hair is part of our body. And when someone approaches our home and says, I'm going to hack into it, or I'm going to radically alter it without your say, without your consent, there are neural pathways that are getting formed. There are pain points that are getting embedded and it does 
take a lot to reclaim that. And it's part of our healing journey. That's why we wanted to spend an entire episode on hair is because it's not just hair. It's who we are. It's our body. It's our embodiment. It's our expression of the body we live in. And that's why it can obviously come out in clothes or Mm -hmm. different choices that you're making, um, who you, who your partner is, you know, who you love. It's just all of the ways you show up and express yourself and, and are true to yourself. You are true to yourself. And so this is why when we think about the other mm-hmm. part or the other side of the coin, which is the environment that sees our autonomy as a threat. Mm-hmm. And in this case, we're going to use family. My question then becomes, why is our autonomy a threat? Because if our journey is toward an authentic self, and we are going to make mistakes, and we are going to make decisions that might not be aligned with us, it's our responsibility to make that decision and then and try to just problem solve around why we wouldn't make that a, a decision again or why we wouldn't find ourselves in those those situations. But when we have someone steamrolling over that process mm-hmm. and saying, oh, no, 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 you can't make the decision because of X, Y, and Z, because of our religion, because of our culture, because of our constructs, because of our so- sociological structure, because of our gender. None of those things are allowed because of those things. And you're sitting there and it's classic PDA. It's the... I just wanted to come to a conclusion of whether it was right or wrong for me, regardless of those things. Yeah. Regardless of the gender, right? This is why when people attack me for wearing makeup or wanting to wear makeup, it's so funny. I, I mean, CA heard me rant on this one time. Somewhat, there was this, I love doing transitions. Honestly, A, because I think they're fun. I do think they're like super captivating. I love watching transitions. Me too. <laughs> I love watching transitions on TikTok. Okay. So I sit there and I love doing them. I love watching them. And so I love doing transitions and I love wearing makeup. I think it's really fun. I think it's an artistic expression and I claim it as my own. Do I think that anyone should wear makeup that is not fully embodying that autonomous decision? No. Mm -hmm. And I don't think anyone has to wear makeup to be beautiful. Absolutely not. Absolutely not. I do not think some of the, like, I think of creators that don't wear makeup at all, all the time. And I like, don't even notice any, but like, I'm just like, oh my God, they're like so stunning. And I wouldn't even have known, like they would have had to say, I'm not like, this is me completely unfiltered. I'd be like, this is, you know, how beautiful is that? That concept of autonomy is that we get so angry because we have wounds around that problem. So when someone attacks me for wearing makeup, oh my God, you're teaching someone about mental health and like freedom and you just put on makeup in that transition. And I'm like, yeah, because I wanted to. I'm not alluding to the fact that in order to be beautiful, you have to wear makeup. Mm. That's your wound. Mm. That's your wound. Mm -hmm. And I think how this shows up in families is when you have the adults in your life who themselves were never allowed self-expression and then they gave into whatever societal or structural norms were placed upon them 
and, you know, basically just succumbed to the loss of their own autonomy, then they watch their kid trying to claim that autonomy over themselves and they get activated, right? Their trauma gets activated. And then there's this immediate, we need to shut this down because if you haven't dealt with and healed your own wounds behind things, you're very often going to try to like control the environment around you. And it's the, you know, well, if I got hurt, then you should get hurt in the same way. And if I endured it, then you should endure it. And it's just the classic like generational trauma cycle. And this is why this episode is about hair, but it's about so much more than that, because this is one of the ways that generational trauma can show up. It's as Mm -hmm. soon as you have a kid start self-expressing all of these parts of you that are wounded, become activated because you're like, well, wait a minute. When I was that age and I tried to do such and such, it wasn't allowed. So, okay. And you start playing out the script and making sure that your kid doesn't do it either. Um, That's one of the things. And then I think another thing that comes up that's sort of related, but I think it mostly just has to do with control in general and the, the fear of your kid becoming a separate entity from yourself. And when you see them do a self-expression, anything that is different than what you would do for yourself or different than what you, you know, have kind of like led them along a path to express themselves as, and they all of a sudden show up with blue hair or they show up with a piercing or they show up with a crazy outfit that you don't approve of or whatever. You are struck face to face with the reality that this is a completely different human being and you actually genuinely do not have control over them. And for some parents that is so jarring for them that they are going to react very negatively. And if this has happened to you, you're already probably replaying those memories in your own head um, because it is it can be loud and intense. And then you sitting there have all sorts of your own myriad of reactions, which can lead from the whole range of either just the straight up PDA reaction, which is like, well, fine, you don't like this. Wait till I come back tomorrow with 10 more piercings, right? Like you can just double down on it. Or for some people, you know, you got, you go all the way to the other end of the spectrum. Any amount of criticism is deeply upsetting to you. And so you are immediately filled with shame and you go, oh my gosh, what was I thinking? I I shouldn't have done this. You're right. You know, and then you just completely, completely um, backpedal and and never, you never do anything risky to your, to your style, your outward expression ever again, so that you don't ever get that disapproval moment ever again. Um, And then a whole slew of other things in between of how we might react to that, like parental disapproval. Um, but yeah, that's, well, think yeah. about this. Yeah. Think about this though, that, that how emotionally unstable that must feel that if you're testing expressions and that you either go radically all in or radically all out, you're actually not developing the skills that you need for autonomy. Mm-hmm. So think about that for a second. Okay. 
because if we're talking about piercings, right? Let's do piercings for a second, okay? So you come home with your second hole. Remember that, guys? When we're like, who are my 90s? Well, I'm an 80s baby, but who are my 90s kids? Um, the, the second piercing was like the, ooh, that was like the, I'm like getting older kind of thing. Um, and you did that. Let's say, I don't know, you knew some, you did it yourself. There was many piercings, guys. We'll tell a story on Unhinged about piercings. Oh my God, there's many <laughs> stories on that. Um, many self-piercings on my end. Many. So like, let's say you, yeah, exactly. Let's say you did it yourself. And you go in, your mom sees it and says, take that out right now. What are you thinking? Okay. And CA brought up the point, there are folks that will go radically to the all. They're like, all right, well, next time you see me, I'm going to have this, this, this. Maybe I'll show up with a tattoo. Right? But that's actually, this is what we were speaking to earlier. It's actually not practicing true connection to the autonomy because the autonomy, quote unquote, is being driven by someone's almost attack Mm -hmm. of the original point, right? So when you go all, when you go all in and you get a bunch of piercings, you might be looking in the mirror and you're like, I don't even want these. <laughs> like, I don't even, I literally just wanted one extra piercing. Like, I don't even care if I have piercings or not. Like, it just, right? So that's actually speaking to not necessarily practicing an autonomous decision. But then the other side of the coin, which by the way, we're speaking to like a lot of pushing into the expression, but we're not actually speaking to the testing of expression. Like, I just want to, I just want to, I'm going to cut my hair a little bit shorter, mom. No, no, no. All of my daughters have long hair. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. So let's say one day you cut your hair a little bit shorter than what your mom's always wanted. Right. And then she goes, I don't even want to look at you. You, you already start looking. You're already looking like a boy to me. Okay. So instead of cutting all of your hair off, you go back to your room and you say, you're right. I do look like a boy. Mm-hmm. I do look like terrible. I do look ugly. I, I should always listen to what they're saying. That's also not practicing autonomy, Mm -hmm. right? And so when we're sitting there and we're saying, okay, if we're leading the next generation of healed individuals, not only are we doing this work ourselves, but we are sitting with our children and saying, okay, I heard you don't love this new haircut. You know, let's talk about that. Mm -hmm. Because I don't want to say one thing or the other. I want this to be led from you. What are you thinking? What do you feel about this? Is this upsetting you? Is this making you, is this kind of making you angry at yourself? Like what is going on here that we can process? Because A, if you don't assert that they're they're a screw up and they're actually saying, okay, so I didn't screw up, but I don't know if I necessarily like this, Mm -hmm. then you can also hear through it if they start shaming themselves and say, you're right, mom, I should have just always listened to you. And, you know, I, I made a decision and I can't make good decisions. I don't trust myself, right? See, we've talked about this in another episode. Mm-hmm. The greatest thing you can say to a child, especially as they're developing their autonomy, is I trust you can make good decisions. Mm-hmm. And also some of those decisions might lead you to a path of greater awareness of what you want and need. And that is also a good decision. That's also a beautiful decision. 
because you're learning how to trust yourself. And the only way we can learn how to trust ourselves is for us to journey through variations of decisions Mm -hmm. and with autonomy, feel stable in that dynamic. Right. Being able to model that type of, and, and kind of scaffold for your kids, the ability to see a a nuanced approach to an an experiment, a (laughs) self-expression experiment that they went on is super essential because I think it's especially risky with kids and teenagers to just react with that very harsh criticism because of what we were speaking to with the all or nothing thinking. It takes a very high level of critical thinking, actual like neurological development. And then beyond that, continuing to develop those skills and kids and teens, their brains are still developing and they are going to be more likely to fall into an all or nothing thinking mindset because their brains are still developing. And this is a high level skill that their brains are literally like actually structurally not fully capable of reaching, you know, the full potential of, of being able to think critically and see a nuance of a situation. And so if they're getting from us an all or nothing radical, negative, critical reaction, then their brain is immediately going to respond and react in its own way in one of the all or nothing options. But they're going to learn that skill of like the nuanced critical thought from us if we if we provide that modeling for them and if we actually show them hey you want to see a picture of my hair you want to see one of the craziest things i ever did to it you know and and kind of letting them know that this is a journey to understanding ourselves better and we do make mistakes and you know always affirming that their journey of self-expression is such a delight for you to experience with them, you know, and letting them know this is so neat that you wanted to try this out. You know, it's okay that it didn't work out exactly the way that you wanted to. I'm so proud of you. This was so brave. And it was like, you know, it was a really cool thing that you did and you should be proud of yourself and it's okay that you didn't love it. And you know, it's now, you know, (laughs) so So I think you, that's, this is that beautiful walkthrough of like being the person we needed when we were younger and hearing responses that encourage, nourish, and cultivate cognitive flexibility. Because cognitive flexibility, folks, that is the pinnacle of healing. It's why is almost every episode we say, do not think black or white. It's not helpful. Comes up in everything. And the reason why we say this almost every single episode is because what most likely in, in, in the trauma journey, right? When we are getting led, or led deeper and deeper into our trauma, we are met consistently with modeling of the all or nothing. And this is why we hear responses founded in the all or nothing thought process Mm -hmm. like this. I told you so. If you just listened to me, then you wouldn't have done that, right? But that's actually robbing them of their autonomy to understand 
that for themselves. So what you're actually communicating when I say I told you so to my children or when someone says that to me, they're basically saying you you don't need to trust yourself. You just need to trust me, right? And the thing is, is that authenticity is founded and cultivated through self-trust. So in order to develop self-trust, you genuinely have to. You have to make these journeys that are possibly not aligned with what you ultimately want. Mm -hmm. Okay. And you do need to be leading that ship. So when you get the modeling of, I told you so, that is a all or nothing thought. It's saying you either listen to me and you make the right decision, or you either don't listen to me and screw up, Mm -hmm. which creates a lot of complexities in our brains when we are trying to be our true selves. That might not be mini parents, might not be our mini mothers, might not be our mini dads. Like Mm -hmm. we are who we are. And so when you were speaking earlier, see, I actually wanted to bring back to this for a second. Some folks actually think that's what parenting is, is that my role as a parent is to create a miniature version of me. Mm -hmm. That's what people sometimes think. There are people that might even be like, yeah, that's what I thought parenting was too, (laughs) right? Mm -hmm. And I sit there and I go, okay, but what that, what we're missing is, yes, we need to guide our children and help our children and support our children and facilitate learning in our children And, and I have certain belief systems that I hold today that I might not hold in 10 years. I have certain belief systems that I hold today that 10 years ago are radically different. Mm -hmm. So if I'm in my children's formative years and I am telling my child that they need to anchor themselves to my current version of myself. Wow. Mm-hmm. What am I creating? I'm creating stagnancy. I'm creating this dissonance of growth. I'm creating dissonance of exploration and autonomy and self-trust. Mm-hmm. Which I don't want to create in my children. I want to create spaces where they can try and explore and take ownership of that exploration. Mm -hmm. And they can say, you know what? I went to this person's church and I know that you're not really religious mom, but I went to their church and something they said really bothered me. Tell me, tell me what bothered you. What were some aspects that you heard that really upset you? Mm -hmm. What aligns what doesn't align, what resonates, what doesn't resonate. I was just thinking about how you were talking about if you have your kids anchored in whatever current version you are right now, it can also limit your own continued growth, not just theirs, but yours as well. Because if you've anchored your whole family in a particular identity or system and you even start to have thoughts that might challenge that narrative, you're going to think, 
oh my gosh, if I start changing this, I'm going to traumatize my kids because this is what we do. And this is every, you know, every week we go and do the thing or my whole family, like we all believe this and express ourselves this way. And if I start changing, I'm going to traumatize them. So I guess I'll just keep on with the status quo for their Mm -hmm. sake. Yeah, I do think it can limit your growth. Because if you think about it, what is true embodied freedom? And it would be that I am who I am today. And I allow myself to flow in and out of different ideas. And I cultivate an environment that doesn't harm that self-exploration. Like CA, I've known you for what? 20 some odd years at this point. And I think about all the different versions we've been, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. But that's why I think it's so beautiful to realize that like when we are journeying through this life and we are testing different hair colors, but ultimately, I know we're talking about hair, but ultimately we're testing different realities that we want to be a part of, different experiences that we want to be a part of. And we can cultivate an environment that says none of what you're doing is a threat to our dynamic. Mm. I truly want you to explore. I want you to experience. You might not agree with what I believe and you don't have to. Especially now because CA and I have like slowly you know, we used to be very part of the same ideology. We're not like in a completely different one. But what's interesting is she'll bring new ideas to me, but she doesn't do it in a way of I am right, you are wrong. And I am now so firmly into this new belief system Mm -hmm. that because you don't believe it, I can't, I can't like accept your current reality. Mm -hmm. Right. Right. To be able to hold space or growth with one another to be able to do this in, you know, any type of relationship you have, whether it's parent child or friend to friend or, you know, intimate partners, like there is something so radically freeing about being able to hold that dynamic between yourself and that other person where both people are free to just explore and experiment and discover on their own, knowing that this other person is safe enough to share those little tidbits of information that you're learning along the way that I can come to Jamie and say, yeah, I got into this like rabbit hole on the internet and I like learned all about this, you know, blah, blah, blah. And she can just be like, oh, wow, tell me more about that. You know, we can just like talk about it. It doesn't mean that it's, okay, you're right. Like overnight now I've adopted this. This is my, this is who I am now. Um, It's more just like, that's really neat. Thank you for sharing that with me. And I don't have to be scared to like be rejected by this person. That's how you know you're dealing with somebody who is safe is that you feel safe enough to bring up random things that you're learning about yourself or even just questioning about yourself. And you know that they're just going to hear you out and not reject anything that you're coming up with. And see, I think when we look at 
greater concepts. I think that is what is hard for some folks to get through, especially in the culture and the, you know, the current events that we're going through is that because this is all about autonomy, folks, if you find yourself in a dynamic that you literally don't feel safe in, the relationship just doesn't feel safe anymore. Like you genuinely feel as though every time you try to express yourself, they feel like you're threatening them. Okay. Because we're in a pretty heated debate right now with all of what's going on in the country. Okay. If you can't have a safe dialogue, I'm, I want you to understand that they might not be that person. It doesn't mean that you have to cut them off, but they might not be the person to like hold that for you. Okay. Mm-hmm. And so it doesn't mean, and this is why sometimes people hear this in an all or nothing, but it doesn't mean that you are just like, okay, cut anybody off who doesn't agree with me. Right. Some people might feel like that's the only place that they can feel safe. Okay. I'm going to speak in a nuanced way here. Some people might say that's the only way I can feel safe is if I don't interact with anyone who disagrees with me. Okay. Yet when we can create those boundaries and say, I care about you. I want to be at this summer picnic. I genuinely need you to understand that there are some conversations that I will not engage in and some conversations that might be brought up, especially if it's speaking to a very high value system that I have, I very well might end up removing myself from this situation. I'm doing that to protect my own safety and to protect my own autonomy around this dynamic. Mm -hmm. So what you're doing is you're trying to create almost this like space where you can exist in a system that very well might may disagree with you. And by the way, I'm sure many of our listeners are currently embedded in a family that may radically disagree with who they are, maybe how they identify, maybe their belief systems, maybe their religious beliefs or whatever, wherever you are. And if this is you, even like completely cutting these people off, I'm not saying this in in a foolproof way, but completely cutting these people off might be tempting. I get it. Might be tempting. And some people may get to that point where they're like, it's actually not safe. I've gone to the picnic, Jamie. I've done it a couple of times and I've Mm -hmm. laid the boundary and every time they hurt me, Mm -hmm. every time they pointed at me and threw me under the bus and said, who's this blank and blank and whatever, Mm -hmm. right? Every time. And I would say, okay, start listening to the pattern, start listening to the pattern. And this is where self-trust comes in. If you start listening to the pattern and you start trusting yourself and you start acknowledging is this environment something I can safely re-enter and expose myself to? And if the answer consistently comes up, no, I am not safe, that is where you can with definitive conviction say, I'm not in a space to continue to expose myself there. So you will create another layer, a layer, okay? And for some people that might be, so I don't go to the picnics, but every once in a while I'll check in. Mm -hmm. 
And that is your truth. That can be valid because we hear so much rhetoric right now where they're saying they disagree with you. Everybody cut them off. And I go, we all work in systems, everyone. Everyone is part of a system. We are all in workplaces. We are all in family systems. We are all in the cultural system. Many of us are in a religion system. And so it's your autonomy that is the key here that you can track. Are they capable of holding and respecting the line, the boundary, the rules of engagement for me. And if that pattern consistently shows up as not safe, that is where we would have to make some changes. Mm -hmm. And so what we're looking at is not a homogenous reality in which every single person in your life or aspect of your life is completely exactly the same. Um, but simply, even those who might not fully align with every one of your beliefs or experiences in your life, even those who don't align with it, are they capable of holding space for the difference? Are they able mm. to respect those boundaries? Are they able to just understand that they don't have authority over your self-expression or over your, you know, philosophies or ideologies or religious, ex you know, uh, experiences. Like, are they able to say, oh, well, this person owns themselves. They own their own body. Like, they know what they're doing. If they want to dye their hair like a rainbow, I never would, but that's fine if they want to. And that's what we're looking for, right? We're not looking for you to only hang out with people who have rainbow hair just like you. <laughs> it's it's can can the people in your life genuinely respectfully just hold space for a variation of expression from the people around them? Can two people's individual autonomies coexist? And the answer is yes, mm. if you do the work. Think about that. So you shave your hair. You get a buzz cut, CA. And I genuinely, for some reason, think it's valid to just say, I would never do that. Okay. I mean, I, that's, you know, I guess you could say that. CA can respect that I would never do that, but I could respect that she would. Right. Mm -hmm. And so when I talk about cultivating a safe environment and then noticing the pattern, let me mm -hmm. explain it from this from this viewpoint. OK, CA comes over. She has a bald head or a shaved head. And I say, oh, I would never do that. But actually go off, you know, whatever. OK. You kind of maybe are a little hesitant, like, is she judging me? I don't know whatever is going on there. But what we need to be aware of is the pattern. So think about it like this. CA comes over. I'm like, okay, what's going on with your hair? And you're like, I just, I like it this way, okay? And then you take note, maybe this person isn't very safe to have this, you know, maybe maybe they're gonna be kind of mean to me about this self-expression, okay? And let's say you keep it up, right? And you come over again the following week and I say, is this something that you're gonna keep? Like, it looks like you like touched your hair up. Like, did you buzz it again? And you're like, yeah, I'm planning on keeping it. 
this way for quite some time. Mm -hmm. Okay. Next week. I just can't, I, I, I don't even recognize you. I'm sorry. It's just, it's just off putting. I don't, I don't, it's, it's not, no, no, I just don't. I I'm really like, it's actually kind of upsetting that you did that. Okay. So slowly it's becoming more and more clear that I'm not actually going to show up in a new way to this dynamic. I'm going to continually criticize her self-expression. All right. And this is what I was speaking to earlier, especially when it comes to ideologies or emotional experiences, right? When someone's saying, I might look like I'm outwardly okay, but then they continually show up to every family event and literally mock you. Mm-hmm. Or they criticize you and your integrity. Or they go to the spiritual realm and say, you know, like I I talked to my pastor about that. And like I asked, like, should women have short hair? And they were like, you know, it's not necessarily like it's not really in their gender roles. Like that's kind of going against their gender roles, which is God given. Mm-hmm. So what I'm doing is I'm trying to curtail your autonomy. I'm trying to mess with your decision making about your hair. Mm-hmm. So this is where it comes down to do you trust yourself, CA? Or if I pester you enough, do you eventually get to the point of breakdown and say, I guess like if it's something that everyone in our church is going to judge, I might as well just like I'll wear a hat for a while and then Mm -hmm. I'll go back to what it was before. Mm -hmm. And this is why it's especially insidious with kids because kids don't have a choice but to stay like they, they have to stay in that family system at least for a certain time because they're not able to like exist independently on their own. So you're going to have a much higher level of, you know, kids going back and like reconforming for fear of getting kicked out of their house or because that need for parental improvement is like so visceral, especially with younger kids. I mean, we might start to get a little bit more of the pushback when you get into your teen years, but like, it's so especially insidious to do this with children because they genuinely don't there's so many parts of their life that they genuinely have no power about and so if you're even going to take away this power of self-expression then they're going to have to conform because otherwise how will they eat and where will they sleep um and so that's that's one that I always think about but the the other one is like even when you're an adult you might just like really genuinely love the person that you're with and not want to lose them and say it's a significant other, right? And all of a sudden you try out a certain hairstyle. It didn't even occur to you to like get their permission ahead of time because like, why would you? It's your hair. So you can just go and get a haircut whenever you want. And all of a sudden you come home and there's, what did you do? I cannot believe you got your haircut without asking me. Like I, I, this is, it looks awful. It looks awful. You know, imagine getting that from your partner and and you expected, I don't know what it was you expected, at, at least some sort of like positive, you know, acknowledgement of what happened. And then so you get the exact opposite. So then you're faced with, well, what am I going to do? Because I genuinely don't want to lose this relationship with this person, but they clearly disapprove of 
this self-expression and this is how we can start to, again, then you really do have to look for the patterns because maybe this was a one-off moment. Maybe they were having a, a rough day and then they come back and, you know, completely reconcile the situation and there is no pattern to track, but maybe this is part of a larger pattern that you can now start to see, oh, this is kind of like that time that I just wore that shirt that was yellow and they criticized me for wearing yellow and they were like, don't ever wear yellow. It looks awful on you. And it also reminds me of the time that I got that manicure and they were like, those nails are so ridiculously long. Like how could, why, why would you wear such long nails? And all of a sudden the brain starts tracking a pattern and is going, oh, this person genuinely is uncomfortable with my self-expression. And then now you have actual information to start thinking about how to proceed. Well, it goes back to one of our staples they tell on themselves. They're telling you that they, and and honestly, speaking of patterns, like when you start really asking yourself, like, go back in the beginning of your relationship. Was that like an insidious thing like that started happening that you might not even have noticed until it was too late, right? So something like, oh, um, you know, I noticed that you wore like sweatpants when we went out to dinner. Like that just looks really bad. So like, I kind of expect when we go out that you're going to like actually care about what you look like. So that might've happened in the beginning or I noticed that you've gained a little weight. Like, are you, do you care about your body? Like, what are you doing? You know, like, what are you doing? Like, I, I started dating you with the expectation that like, we were really active people. Like, why are you not working out? Right. And it's like, okay, obviously there's a lot of conversation there, but it's this, it's this concept of like, if you start asking yourself, well, they're actually trying to fit me into a mold of who they want me to be and not actually allowing me to be human. Like I'm not allowed to gain a couple pounds. I'm not allowed to wear casual wear at certain things. I'm not allowed to express myself in this way, right? This is their, This is them telling on themselves. Mm-hmm. This is it how is. you know they're not actually dating you. They're dating some fairy tale construct in their minds and they're trying to just fit you into that mold. And as soon as you start to break away from that mold, that's when they start telling on themselves. And mm-hmm. anyway, so this is why this is not just about hair. There is there's this is a not lot just about hair. There is a lot. But yeah, so we are that. we're gonna yeah, we're gonna it's so much. But yeah, we are gonna we are gonna start wrapping up. I want you guys to just understand though that like one of the key aspects that we want you to take from this episode is to do this work is to take a lot of past information and apply it to how you currently show up right now. So if you're showing up and you do have hesitancy, like what's the said in the beginning? Something happened to her when she was six years old and she says sometimes she still sees the ripples today. And so I don't want you to go unbury every single problem, you know, that like you had around self-expression. I genuinely want you to ask yourself, how do I show up today? And how do I embody myself today? And what is my environment doing to either 
cultivate growth around self-expression or dampen that growth? That's the takeaway. That's the takeaway. Take deep breaths. This one was heavy. Woo! All right. Um, we are going to... We are going to remind you again about the Unlearned community on Facebook. We are trying to get that off the ground. Um, and remember about our Patreon. We have our Unhinged episodes. We'll post some fun photos about our hair. <laughs> Maybe we'll do a little offshoot about all of our self-expression adventures on Unhinged. <laughs> You'll hear all about all the like things we did growing up. Um <laughs> Yes, Unhinged is our podcast within a podcast, folks. I know you guys hear that at the end, but make sure you check it out on Patreon. All right. Sending strength to all of you. Thanks for listening. Thank you so much, y'all, for tuning in. If anything we said resonated, please subscribe and leave a review anywhere you listen to podcasts. This absolutely helps us grow, and we really do value your voice on this podcast. So if you have anything you'd like to contribute, any tips, any topics, or if you just want to say hi, you can email us at unlearned at recollectedself.com. You can find us on Instagram at the Unlearned Podcast or individual Instagrams at Recollect Itself and CAs is at Embracing Divergence. You can also find us over on TikTok under those handles. If you want to join our Patreon for $5 a month, you can be our Coffee Fiend Club member. And that's going to give you access to our podcast within a podcast, which is called Unhinged. This is basically where we let loose completely unedited. We are literally just shooting the breeze, having fun. You can see our full personalities and it is a blast. Honestly, it's pretty fun. So if you want to join us, you can find that at patreon.com slash unlearned. And that's it. The last thing I want to tell you is I want you to be brave enough to fight for the person you want to become. And this is how we do the work.